Um, the, scripture portion for to, the scripture portion for today comes from the book of Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. So if you have your Bibles with me, you can open up your Bibles and follow, me, follow along with me, or you can follow on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 till 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much sorrowing, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Brandon will now be sharing the message for us. Right. Thank you, Stanley, for reading the text for us today. And let me just say to all of you from me, welcome, that I find it so good to be here. I don't know, some of you might have had really great weeks. My week was one of those kind of weeks you think, all right, made it to the end of the week. And, uh, but it's so good to be gathered together in the presence of God, to be worshiping Him together, to be singing songs to Him together, to be praying together in the joy of the Lord. Amen. It's good. It's good to be here. I hope that it's an encouragement for you today because we want to be prepared for whatever lies ahead of us in the week ahead. So now if you've grown up in church or been in church for any kind of length of time in your life, you might have heard this story already, the story of Mary and Martha. Uh, if not, well then today is the day you get to get a little bit more of a piece of what this story is about as we'll be looking at it. And this is not the only place that we see these two sisters mentioned in Scripture. But the reason that I really want to look particularly at this one situation uh, on one side, because we only have so much time they, that, I, you know, that I can uh, speak up here, um, and also because I like this in kind of response to what we're looking at currently in our series, Humans of the Bible. I think this just naturally kind of fits into what our theme is. The whole point of this series, Humans of the Bible, is to remind us that as we read Scripture, as we read through the Bible, we're going to read about these people. We're going to get these glimpses into their lives, and we can sometimes maybe forget that this isn't just a story. This is, these were actual people, they had the similar and same, in many ways, thoughts and struggles and desires and frustrations that we still face today. And so as we look at these humans of the Bible, we want to learn from their experiences, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. And today we get a little bit of both with these two sisters. And as we look at these two sisters, uh, we see two humans within the Bible uh, with their flaws and all in a very human situation, in a very human situation. How many of you have siblings? I have one sister. Some of you have many more. Uh, and uh, <laughs> if you grew up in a big enough family, or I would say even if it's not even one of your siblings, but in, a, in a, a big enough kind of family around you, you might have those people in your mind. There's like the, the Marys and the Marthas, you know, especially if you grew up in a Christian family. People are like, oh, you're such a Martha. It's a kind of a thing that we say. And if you're looking back in your life and thinking, I don't really know who that is, 
it might be you. You might be the person everyone else is thinking of as the Martha, the busybody, the person who always seems to be kind of worried and stressed about every single detail of a situation, right? You're having a party, and everybody else is, like, excited about the party, and they're just running around super stressed, you know, sweating, and they're the first and the last one into the kitchen, and the one who kind of really takes note, and you kind of feel like you're going onto a list as they look at you with that look of like, uh, why aren't you as stressed as I am? Why aren't you running around and worried about this stuff as much as, why isn't anyone else doing the work that I'm doing? I'm doing everything. But I want to be careful not to be too harsh on poor Martha here, because as we go through the situation we just read, we'll see that she's... She isn't fully wrong. She isn't fully wrong. She's just not quite fully right. She's not getting the whole picture. And we're going to look at that today. And as we look at this story, and we look at, especially at Martha, and we kind of uh, maybe want to kind of judge her in a little bit uh, in her situation, we look at her as an example, and later as we look at Mary as a comparison, Mary is, is definitely the one we want to kind of more lean to. But I think we need to be careful that we don't just kind of push this aside. And I want to expand this a little bit as we go through to include those of you who maybe aren't Marthas. You're thinking, you know, that's not me. I'm definitely not a Martha per se. Not a busybody. You know, you're not the one who maybe works too much uh, when you're preparing something. Uh, but you still might be one who is easily distracted, who struggles with distraction, especially when it comes to the worries and the anxieties of life and letting them build up and deter your focus from where it should be. And so with that, let's get into the text. Let's give a little bit of background kind of on what's going on here and something that I did find interesting as a bit of a side note I'll kind of throw to you here. In verse 38, so we see Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, uh, from other passages in John uh, where these two sisters are also mentioned, uh, we can be fairly certain that this is the same Mary and Martha of Bethany. So this is the town of Bethany. We also know from John 11 and 12, uh, mostly all of 11 and most of, or the first half of 12, uh, that Mary and Martha also had a brother, Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. And if you'd like to go deeper in your kind of understanding of these two sisters, you can read through those two chapters on uh, your own time. Unfortunately, like I said, we don't have enough time to get into everything. But I want to mention this because I find it interesting when we look at the whole picture and we consider Jesus in their kind of uh, sphere uh, that there seems to be something particularly special in how Jesus kind of sees this particular family. There's a special connection, maybe a special fondness with this particular family. Uh, we know that it's over Lazarus' death that Jesus, that we read the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He, and I don't think he's weeping over his death because he was about to raise him from the dead, but he cared about how it affected these sisters. He cared about this family. He seems to have a special care for them. And it demonstrates that Jesus had people that he cared about, people in his life. He had friends in his life outside of his disciples, right? Jesus is hanging out with his friends. Jesus had people that were in his sphere. Maybe, you know, they had some inside jokes. Maybe they knew each other. And I think that's also why we see the familiarity of Martha kind of as she, as she comes to him, as we'll look at later, uh, kind, of, kind of whining a little bit about her sister. There seems to be a familiarity. And as we read, as Martha welcomed him, uh, we get this impression that 
there's kind of a history there that they might have known each other. And we're speculating here, but I do think it helps us to kind of get a little bit more of a feel of the situation. And I do wonder how they might have crossed paths. It's, it's very possible we kind of forget that Jesus had 30 years of life uh, before he began his ministry. And so there's, there's a chance that maybe he even knew them before he began his ministry. And uh, it was common for people to open up their homes, uh, especially people near Jerusalem, for the travelers who would be coming to the different festivals to give different sacrifices throughout the year. And Bethany was very close to Jerusalem, whereas Jesus, who was kind of uh, way on the other side, would have, been, had, would have had to travel and most likely would have stayed with people. Maybe he met them. Uh, maybe this is some, there's a relationship that goes way back. And I only point this out because I do find it helpful to also, as we're looking at humans of the Bible, to be reminded of the humanity of Jesus himself. Right? Jesus is fully God, but he is also fully man. Right? And in his days on the earth, he lived, he had a life, he ate and drank, he worked, he traveled, and he made friends. And I think that we kind of get a feel when, it, when we see this particular family, there seems to be something special. And, it, there's, and again, I'm speculating here, right? I'm reading into the text, uh, so that's always a bit dangerous. But uh, I do think that there's a, a sense of something special with this particular family. And so with that, let's now dive into the situation and set the stage for this uh, kind of event that's about to take place that we're looking at. So Martha, she met Jesus. He's coming into town. She invited him to stay over and to eat. Now, we can pretty safely assume Jesus is not alone. Uh, he very rarely was alone, uh, traveling uh, as he had quite a following at this point. And so it's possible that it was maybe the, just the 12 disciples, maybe, maybe less, maybe more. But whatever the number was, we can be pretty certain that it was a good-sized gathering. We can also maybe gather that from uh, Martha's frustration in kind of uh, finding herself alone in serving. So the point is that it would have been a lot to do. It would have been a big undertaking, serving the drinks and cooking and serving the food and kind of cleaning up continually throughout the evening and after. It was work. It's work to be a host. I don't know if you've ever hosted uh, like 10, 12 or more people in your home, but it's work. It takes work. It's a lot of planning and a lot of uh, work throughout the evening. And so this is kind of what's going on in verse 39. And Martha had a sister called Mary who also, and I'm putting that word also in there, and I'll tell you why in a second, who also sat at the Lord's table and listened to his teaching. Now, I include that word also because many translations do. The ESV doesn't. I'm not, I, I'm not sure what's behind me. ESV, yeah. Uh, so it doesn't, but some translations do, and I think if we look at the context, it helps us to understand a little bit more of what is happening with Mary here uh, because I think if we remove that also, we can maybe be in danger of misunderstanding the situation. What I mean by that is both Martha and Mary would have been helping and working and doing preparations uh, throughout the evening for their guests. And I say that because I don't want us to get the wrong impression when we're looking at this and see it as Martha has done everything and Mary has done nothing. And I say that because it's important when we look at Mary as an example for us and how we want to learn to sit at Jesus' feet and learn how to be taught by him and learn to kind of have this heart that Mary has. Uh, and I don't want you to leave today and be like, okay, well, you know, I'm not really a Martha, I'm more of a Mary, so I don't really do work. You know, I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm a sit at Jesus' feet kind of person. So you need some ushers at the back or you need, uh, that's not really for me. I'm, I'm just here to sit at Jesus' feet. I don't do the work. I don't 
that's not the implication that we see here. Mary worked and also sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And I think we can also, again, taking some liberties here and painting a picture for us of this big gathering. Everybody's been eating, and it's this great time of, of fellowship and food and dining together. And as the evening maybe was kind of coming to an end, as was customary, you know, uh, the conversation would continue. Uh, I can only imagine as Jesus is there, Jesus has some things to say, right? So he's going to be continuing to talk and continuing to kind of spread his wisdom to those who would sit and listen. And typically at that time, you know, the women would have been doing all the cleaning up at that point. And this is where we start to see this frustration from Martha and she says, my sister has left. And so this is how we also can conclude that she was helping, but now she's kind of pulled away. She stopped helping. And that's because at this point, Mary doesn't care about the dishes. Mary doesn't care about all of that other stuff that needs to be done. And this is why I like this kind of image of them. They've already eaten together. She's, you know, they, they've already kind of served the food. And there's some things that still need to be done, but they're not as important as sitting at Jesus' feet. And Mary sees this. She can do the, we can do the dishes later. We can take care of that stuff later. Jesus is here. Jesus is right here. And he's speaking to us. Where else should I go? Why should I care about that when I can sit here, when I have an opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his teaching? Mary gets something that Martha is missing Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, I want to be clear. It's not saying that serving is bad. Again, you know, I don't need anybody walking out of here thinking, I'm just a Mary. I don't do the work anymore. Uh, to be clear, it's not devaluing service, right? We know that because the Bible is full of examples of the importance of our willingness and having a faithfulness to serve the Lord and to serve people. We should be serving the Lord and serving the people. It's, it's just a part of what God has called us to do. And that means within the church, within our community and our city, those less fortunate around us, our neighbors, our family, we should be serving the Lord and serving people. So what was the problem? It's not wrong to do much serving. What was the problem? What was missing? And I found this quote I really like. I'm going to steal it. Martha lost Jesus in the ministry. Martha lost Jesus in the ministry. And this is a danger of, for all Christians, all of those of us who are following the Lord and we're trying really hard. We want to serve him well. We want to do things to his glory. We want to do things for him, maybe within the church, maybe within our community. But we don't want to do what Martha is doing, losing Jesus in the ministry. What good is it to do great things for God, to serve him with our time and our money and our abilities, to be hospitable with our neighbors and to be generous with others, and yet in the process, miss Jesus himself, miss the opportunities to be with Jesus, to not devote time to be with Jesus, to miss Jesus in the ministry. Unfortunately, this is a real thing. There are people in ministries, and I would say there are people in ministries, but there are also just seasons where we can all fall into this in ministries, in churches, where that there's this focus to do everything well, to do everything right, to do everything maybe even perfect, at great stress to one's self, so much so that they lose Jesus in the process, in the very place that is meant to glorify him. 
in the very place within ministry, they're losing Jesus. It's meant to glorify him, and yet they're missing him. One should do the one, but not neglect the other. We should seek to, to serve and to do it well, but we should not neglect to be with him. And what does that mean? I found, uh, if you're familiar with catechisms, there's quite a few. There's one called the Westminster Catechism, and it's a lot of questions and answers. Uh, and the very first one says, what is the chief end of man? And what that means is, what is the purpose? What's the purpose of man? What are we here for? What is our purpose? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And to enjoy him forever. See, Martha, she's halfway there. She wanted to glorify God. She wanted to serve Jesus. She wanted to be there to be able to be serving, right? She saw the need, and she was doing it directly for Jesus. But Mary understood the importance of both aspects of the purpose of mankind. Yes, we should serve him through our righteous living. We should seek to live a righteous life before him. We should be doing all that we do to the glory of God, to bring glory to him in everything that we say and do and think with all of our actions, with all of our heart. But what value is found in this if we're not also enjoying our Lord, finding joy in the Lord? Because that's where the strength is. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So if I do, but I don't have joy, I don't have strength to do very long. How can you tell the difference? How can you tell the difference? On the outside, it's going to look very similar. And I would say this, what is your service producing? What is your service producing in you? When we look at Martha, do we see someone who's filled with joy in serving the Lord, excited to give what she has? Is she enjoying God in her serving? Filled with the goodness of God, with love, with joy, with peace. Let's look at Martha's response to the situation. It's hard not to read this with like a whiny voice, but verse 40. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. It's so, I mean, siblings, right? Everyone's like, yeah, that sounds like my sister or my brother. Mom, tell them to help me. I'm doing all the cleaning up. I'm doing it all by myself. And what's interesting, and this is why you really see the sibling aspect of it, for those of you who had siblings or have kids, is that Mary's sitting right there. All right? Mary's right there next to Jesus. So she's saying this to Jesus in front of her sister instead of just, hey, you know, could you maybe help me clean up? I'm doing some dishes. Could you give me a hand? It's like, Jesus, tell her to help me. I'm doing it all by myself. It's, it's kind of whiny. It's like this running to the teacher, yelling for mom. And when we begin, here's the thing, is when we begin to lose Jesus in service, we'll find ourselves frustrated, irritable, complaining about others, criticizing others, right? No one else gets it. No one else is working as hard as I do. Why don't they want to help me? And then we'll find ourselves, even in our prayer life, complaining to God. God, I'm all alone. Why don't you tell others to help me? Something's wrong. We've missed something. 
If you're in a position of serving God and serving others and it's producing only frustration and irritability and you're a constant need to compare yourself to others and compare your service to the service of others, you might be in danger. You might be in danger of missing Jesus. We can serve the Lord with all of the best intentions, working hard in ministry and yet be separated or separating ourselves from Jesus himself. And if we neglect or forget to also sit at Jesus' feet, we do it all for nothing. We do it all for nothing. And the most uh, sobering example is when Jesus is talking about the, uh, those who will stand before him in the end. And they'll say, Lord, Lord, look at what we did for you. And he'll say, depart from me. I, I, I don't know you. It doesn't matter what we do matters who we know. We have to sit at Jesus' feet. This is, the, this is the thing that's most important. Don't get lost in what you do for Jesus and miss being with him. Again, both are important, but don't miss that one. Don't miss that one. Martha is distracted. She's so focused on all the needs that need to be done around her that she completely overlooks an opportunity to be with Jesus to be with Jesus, to sit at his feet. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Now, that's a, a thing you see a lot in scripture. It's significant when a name is mentioned twice. There's a lot of examples of this in the Bible that we could look at, but I'll just mention that it, it emphasizes the intimacy of that relationship, but it also emphasizes the urgency of what he's about to say. He's saying, look, I see you, Martha, Martha. I see you, I know you. Now listen to what I'm about to tell you. All right. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now we expand this because all of us, every one of us are guilty of finding ourselves being distracted at times. There are so many things in our lives which become distractions. And I would say, let's especially think of those things that are fueled by our worries and our fears and our anxieties that distract us. And then we miss opportunities to sit at Jesus' feet, whether it's planning a party, right? And, and like, who's going to be doing the cleaning up or whatever, we're planning a wedding. It's been a few weddings this year. So that, I would imagine, is also a good example where we can get lost. Uh, building a ministry, raising a family, finishing your studies, succeeding in your career. These are things that aren't necessarily bad in themselves, but we can let the stress of those things become distracting to us. Don't lose sight of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of your salvation in him, found in him alone, and what that means for your life and learning to sit at Jesus' feet and to be taught by him. Jesus, in, the, in one of his parables, uh, he talks about seed, and this seed represents the gospel, the good news, and how it lands in hearts. And he warns us, and this is the, his kind of explanation of this parable. I'll read Luke uh, chapter 8, verse 14. Luke chapter 8, verse 14. And Jesus is giving us kind of a, a warning about uh, the seed that falls on the thorns. It says, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. So they hear, they've heard the good news, they've heard the gospel. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. This is the life, or this life rather, our lives 
today are full of distractions, both good and bad things, right? Not all of it is just bad things, but we need to be vigilant. We need to be sober-minded and alert, lest we fall into the danger of losing the good news of Jesus, that it would be choked out by all the distractions, all the cares, all the worries, and all the pleasures of this life. Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. In the next verse, but one thing is necessary. But one thing is necessary. All of us have one thing in our life that's really above everything else, that matters most to us. It's the thing that we're most willing to sacrifice for without question. What is it for you? Sex, drugs, maybe your education, maybe your career, money, power, fame, ministry. Even our ministry can be something that we put as our number one. Friends, family. Psalm 27, 4 tells us one thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to sit at God's feet, to be in his presence. That's the one thing. That's the one thing I want more than anything else. What is your one thing? When we search the depths of our hearts, my hope is that it would be like this psalmist, that we would be like Mary, where there's nothing of greater value than to be in the presence of the Lord, to be at his feet. Philippians 3, 13 through 14, Paul tells us, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, that I have made it my own, but one thing, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, so forgetting all the things that are behind us, and straining forward to what lies ahead, Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This does not mean that we neglect everything else in our life, but there should come down to this point of what is the one thing, one thing that you are pressing on towards, seeking with all of your heart, the one thing that's more important than anything else, greater than any pursuit in our life, is the pursuit of Jesus Christ, and he is the prize. Not the idea of him, not only what he offers, but him. He is the prize. Though I am a wretched sinner, I know that I am forgiven. And so I seek after the call of Jesus Christ on my life, that he calls me by name. I think of the rich young man in Luke 18, and I'll read verse 22. Luke 18, verse 22. Uh, so this man comes to Jesus and he says, hey, you know, what do I need to do to be saved? I've, you know, I've kept the law. I've done all these things right and Jesus responds to him this way. He says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing, one thing you still lack. You're doing it all, you're doing it real great. You know, you're close. There's still one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute, to, and, dis and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, he's not saying that everybody has to give everything away. What was the problem? Well, he, would, he was keeping the law. He was doing everything right and yet, he had a distraction of riches in his life. That was more important to him. That was his one thing. That was the one thing that was most important to him, and Jesus saw into his heart and knew that. The riches weren't the problem in themselves, but if he's not willing to let them go and follow Jesus, then they're more important to him than following Christ. What's your one thing? 
What's the one thing that you're willing to let go of everything else for? Verse 42, let's get back to our text. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. It's a choice. It's a choice. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What's your one thing? What are you choosing? What are you seeking after? What's most important to you? We can get distracted with everything else. There's a million things that will pull us away in a hundred different directions. Choose the good portion. Choose the good portion, and it will not be taken from you. It will not be taken from you. No matter where you are in your life, no matter what situations you find yourself in, no matter where you are geographically, you could be in a dark prison cell, and this cannot be taken from you. Discipleship with Jesus sitting at his feet will not be taken from you. The good portion of choosing Christ as being number one in your life, more important than anything else that would try to take that attention away, your focus away, and distract you, nothing can take it away. But let me tell you, oh, how easily we let it go. It's not going to be taken, but how easily we let it go by allowing ourselves to be distracted. Because Jesus Christ is not the one thing. He's not what really matters. That rich young man, he went away sad because he's, he chose his riches over Jesus. He's like, man, I'm not going to get rid of my riches. That's more important to me than following you. How easily we let it go. But when we have it, when we choose it, when we choose the good portion, it will not be taken. So choose the good portion. Learn to sit at the feet of Jesus, and it is a good portion. There's so much we could talk about there. But when we choose Jesus, we get peace, holiness, strength, because we have joy in the presence of Jesus. And then we have strength in all areas of our life. We have wisdom as we face different situations. We have zeal. We have joy. We have forgiveness. We have grace. And we could go on and on with so many more things that we receive at the feet of Jesus. When he is that one thing. The one thing that is necessary. It is a good thing. Choose it. Psalm 16, verse 5 through 6. The Lord is my chosen portion. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. It goes on, and actually it's a great psalm if you want to keep reading. But it's a good portion. It's a good thing to choose Choose it. Mary has chosen the good portion. How do we then do it? How do we choose the good portion? How do we choose the good portion? Are you a Mary or a Martha? And for some of you, I would say, maybe are you even in the house? Maybe you don't know any of this. Maybe you don't know the gospel at all. Come talk to me. Come talk to someone at the prayer. We want to explain that more to you of what it means to follow Christ. What does it mean to surrender our life to him? What does it mean to choose the good portion? We can expand on that, so please come and talk to me. But I would say don't be a Martha and be filled with distraction. Be a Mary. Choose the good portion. What does that mean? What did she do? Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Now you're thinking, how on earth do I do that? 
uh, Jesus isn't here. I don't know how to sit at his feet. Uh, what does that mean? Well, I would say when we talk about sitting at Jesus' feet, this is really talking about being a disciple. It means to learn from someone, to seek to understand through their teaching and their wisdom, to submit yourself to their authority. This is why we get this image of one sitting at the feet. It's saying, hey, you know better than me. You have greater knowledge than I do. Now, it's possible that Mary was literally sitting at the feet of Jesus. That is possible, although we do see this same kind of a, a phrase used in other places in Scripture. Paul uses this when referring to his own upbringing as he was being trained up, uh, and he refers to it as sitting at the feet of his teacher. And so this, I think we're really talking about discipleship, and that we can do. We might not be able to physically sit at his feet today, but we can learn to be discipled, to listen carefully to his words and his teaching, to seek to learn from him. And Mary teaches us that we should seek this. We should choose the good portion to sit at the feet of Jesus, meaning to be a student of Jesus, to hang on his every words and to seek to know him and to be taught by him at every possible opportunity, and that that would be the one thing necessary. That would be the most important thing, to be in close connection with him. Now, I want to be clear that this isn't just about having a personal relationship with Jesus. I feel like we've kind of oversaturated this idea of the personal relationship with Jesus. It is a personal relationship. He calls me by name, and I come to him at his call, and it is personal. Amen. It's a personal relationship. But we don't want to oversaturate that and lose sight of who Jesus is. We want to look at him as Lord, as teacher, as instructor who guides us because we need guidance. I don't just need a friend. I need one that I can follow. And he says, come and follow me. And we want to learn to see him in that correct light as a guide who fills us with wisdom and knowledge and understanding, the things that we need so that we can then practically apply his teaching to our life. And I'll leave you today with this. There's three ways that we can consider in how to choose the good portion, how to sit at Jesus' feet practically. What does this actually look, in your, look like in your life? When you kind of, tomorrow's Monday, as you go through your week, this week, how can you be looking for opportunities to be sitting at the feet of Jesus? You guys want to, get into that a little bit. That's okay. Some practical stuff. All right. Number one, listen to his teaching. Mary was listening to Jesus. Listen to his teaching. What does that mean? Jesus doesn't have a podcast. What are you talking about? Read his words. Read his words. Read about his life. Read things like the Sermon on the Mount. Read about the workings and the miracles of Jesus. Read the parables of Jesus. There's a lot of them. These are the things that Jesus used to teach his disciples, and he's using them to teach us today. Read and know the Bible, I would say, ultimately, or seek to. It's, you won't attain it in your lifetime, probably, but seek to know it cover to cover. Because every word comes from the mouth of God, and every word is the teachings of Jesus. So number one is know the Bible. Listen to his teaching. Listen to his teaching. Second, spend time with Jesus. Spend time with him right? Come and be with him. Well, how do we do that? Through prayer. 
through the power of prayer and the intimacy of prayer, bringing Jesus into our life through our prayers. Paul says to pray without ceasing, which is to just bring him into every situation we're in. You can say those little two-minute prayers. You can say those five-minute prayers as you're heading into a meeting or whatever, it's, whatever you got going on in your life. Bring him into it because he's the one thing. He matters more than if you pass that exam. He matters more than if you get that job. He matters more than if you get that raise. He matters more than if you can you know, get that girl to say yes when you ask her out on a date or whatever it might be. He means more than anything else in your life. So bring him into every area of your life through prayer. But I would also encourage you to take special time. This is something I try to do once a week, but uh, you know how it goes. Weeks sometimes go up and down, but uh, at least uh, I try to do it once a week, but if not a once a month uh, where I really take extra time. I want to take extra time. What I mean is, you know, leave the phone at home and really spend time. For me, it's a prayer walk. I'm a I think if I'm just sitting in a room, it's really hard for me to not let my mind wander a little bit. So I like to go on a longer prayer walk and just spending time in prayer. And usually it's just glorifying him, praising him, thinking about his word. And if you, if you struggle with that, you can also use things like music, which can help. Listening to some worship music, just spending some time worshiping him to kind of prepare your heart. But I would also encourage you to make sure you take time to be still. Right? We don't want to just kind of throw things at him. We want to learn to listen as well. And we want to learn to be still and to reflect and to think on the word of God and what it means for our life, to reflect on his teaching in moments of stillness. So that's number two. Number three, be taught, be discipled, and sit under the authority of the word of God in your life. Sit under the authority of the word of God in your life. What does that mean? Be a part of a local church. Be a part of a local church where the word of God is being taught and applied in the ministry. It's so important. We need something that's to submit ourselves to, right? To be in a place where spiritual leadership always begins with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. Hope that's clear when you come here. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the one that we look to. He is the, he's the boss. He's the head. And all members of a community, of a good, healthy church, should be held accountable to him, accountable to his teaching. And we do that together. We, hope, we help hold each other accountable to his teaching because he is the head of the church. And it's within the community of believers, I believe, more than anywhere else that we really find ourselves sitting at Jesus' feet where we're sitting at Jesus' feet as you're sitting in these comfortable chairs today. In choosing to be here today, I would say, I would encourage you, you're choosing the good portion. You're choosing the good portion. There are a million things that you could do on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon. Many of them would even appear to be good things, right? There's a lot of good things that you could do with your time, a lot of even acts of service that you could be doing to the Lord. You could say, well, you know, I can't come to church because i got to go and, and do this and do this ministry or whatever. But I would say, be careful. You might be in danger of becoming a Martha. And you're doing all these things, but you're missing Jesus. Choose the good portion. Make sure you're taking time to sit at Jesus' feet. Choose the good portion to sit and to hear the teaching of the word of God. To be gathered together as we are today, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, and to worship him and to pray to him together. Because where the people of God are gathered, Jesus is always there in their midst. 
And I would also say, not in my notes, but I would also add to this that it, there's a protection as we come together and submit together ourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ. Whereas when we're alone, we can easily deceive ourselves or convince ourselves of things that aren't true. And we can have a place of community where we can be testing things, going back to the word of God and holding each other accountable. We need that. We need to sit at Jesus' feet. We need to be taught. We need to be discipled. It is a good portion to come together as the people of God. So as we close, let me just encourage you again to be sure you are choosing the good portion in your life. Look at your life. Look at, think on the things that matter the most to you. Think on the things that you're willing to sacrifice for. Are you choosing the good portion today? Be sure you are focused on the one thing that is necessary to sit at the feet of Jesus. And you can choose to do this Every day, you can look at your week and see how you can be choosing to sit at his feet through reading the word, through spending time purposely in prayer, and through gathering together with fellow believers. And I think it's important to come together on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day, as we worship together, but also uh, in smaller groups. That's why we, have, we really emphasize the small groups here in our church to kind of have that more intimate kind of accountability with one another and be growing together. Let me invite the band to come up as I give a few closing words. As we close the service, we're about to worship together. I want to encourage you to be aware that Jesus promises that he will be here in our midst by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not just singing songs. We're not just reading words that were written a long time ago that have very little weight on our lives. We are sitting here at our teacher's feet we are being discipled as we come together and worship. No matter what's going on in our life, here we can lay down our anxieties, our fears, all the worries that have plagued us maybe in the last week and find peace at the feet of Jesus. And I hope that you can today to be an encouragement for the week ahead. And as he continually teaches us, he transforms us, he sanctifies us by the work of the Holy Spirit from the inside out. He is the one thing necessary. He is the good portion. Choose him. Amen. Amen. Let me say goodbye to those watching online. And I invite you now to stand as we worship together.